I'm going to go ahead and uh, ask you to sit for this reading of Scripture since it's uh, rather lengthy. In fact, it's worse than it looks in the bulletin. Um, it, was, it, was, it was supposed to go through verse 12 instead of just verse 2. <laughs> so I don't know if I got that wrong in my uh, text to uh, heap. But uh, this is a story that uh, I think most of you are familiar with, so I'll read through this very quickly and then proceed to uh, the sermon. Beginning in uh, chapter 3, then, of the book of Ruth, this is what God says. Then Naomi, her mother-in-law, said to her, My daughter, shall I not seek security for you that it may be well with you? And now is not Boaz our kinsman with whose maids you were? Behold, he winnows barley at the threshing floor tonight. Wash yourself, therefore, and anoint yourself, and put on your best clothes, and go down to the threshing floor. But do not make yourself known to the man until he has finished eating and drinking. And it shall be when he lies down that you shall notice the place where he lies, and you shall go and uncover his feet and lie down. Then he will tell you what you shall do. And she said to her, All that you say I will do. So she went down to the threshing floor and did according to all that her mother-in-law had commanded her. When Boaz had eaten and drunk, and his heart was merry, he went to lie down at the end of the heap of grain, and she came secretly and uncovered his feet and lay down. And it happened in the middle of the night that the man was startled and bent forward, and behold, a woman was lying at his feet. And he said, Who are you? And she answered, I am Ruth, your maid, so spread your covering over your maid, for you are a close relative. Then he said, May you be blessed of the Lord, my daughter. You have shown your last kindness to be better than the first by not going after young men, whether poor or rich. And now, my daughter, do not fear. I will do for you whatever you ask. For all my people in the city know that you are a woman of excellence. And now it is true that I am a close relative. However, there is a relative closer than I. Remain this night, and when morning comes, if he will not redeem you, good. Let him redeem you. But if he does not wish to redeem you, then I will redeem you as the Lord lives. Lie down until morning. So she lay at his feet until morning and rose before one could recognize another. And he said, Let it not be known that the woman came to the threshing floor. Again he said, Give me the cloak that is on you and hold it. So she held it, and he measured six measures of barley and laid it on her. Then she went into the city, and when she came to her mother-in-law, she said, How did it go, my daughter? And he, she told her all that the man had done for her. And she said, These six measures of barley he gave to me, for he said, Do not go to your mother-in-law empty-handed. And then she said, Wait, my daughter, until you know how the matter turns out. For the man will not rest until he has settled it today. Now Boaz went up to the gate and sat down there, and behold, the close relative of whom Boaz spoke was passing by. So he said, Turn aside, friend, sit down here. And he turned aside and he sat down. And he took ten men of the elders of the city, and he said, Sit down here. So they sat down. And then he said to the closest relative, Naomi, who has come back from the land of Moab, has to sell the piece of land which belonged to our brother Elimelech. So I thought to inform you, saying, Buy it before those who are sitting here and before the elders of my people. If you will redeem it, redeem it. But if not, tell me that I may know, for there is no one but you to redeem it, and I am after you. And he said, I will redeem it. Then Boaz said, On the day you buy the field from the hand of Naomi, 
You must also acquire Ruth the Moabitess, the widow of the deceased, in order to raise up the name of the deceased on his inheritance. And the closest relative said, I cannot redeem it for myself, lest I jeopardize mine own inheritance. Redeem it for yourself. You may have my right of redemption, for I cannot redeem it. Now this was the custom in former times in Israel concerning the redemption and exchange of land to confirm any matter. A man removed his sandal and gave it to another, and this was the manner of attestation in Israel. So the closest relative said to Boaz, buy it for yourself, and he removed his sandal. And then Boaz said to the elders and all the people, you are witnesses today that I have bought from the hand of Naomi all that belong to Elimelech and that belong to Kilion and Malon. Moreover, I have acquired Ruth the Moabitess, the widow of Malon, to be my wife in order to raise up the name of the deceased on his inheritance, so that the name of the deceased may not be cut off from his brothers or from the court of his birthplace. You are witnesses today. And all the people who were in the court and the elders said, We are witnesses. May the Lord make the woman who is coming into your house like Rachel and Leah, both of whom built the house of Israel, and may you achieve wealth in Ephrathah and become famous in Bethlehem. Moreover, may your house be like the house of Perez, whom Tamar bore to Judah, through the offspring which the Lord shall give you by this young woman. May the Lord add his blessing to this reading of his word. The title of the sermon uh, this morning is A Man Who Couldn't Care More. I had stopped by to uh, visit some friends a while back. They spend a lot of time and money on their yard and it shows. It's a beautiful place. But what caught my attention on this occasion as I went up to the house was this little flower that was growing in a crack in their driveway. Now here was all this hard concrete and right in the middle of it where you wouldn't expect it was this beautiful little flower. The book of Ruth coming as it does from the time of the judges is very much like that beautiful little flower. During the time of the judges, God's people had hardened their hearts against the Lord. They couldn't care less about what God wanted. Everyone did what was right in his own eyes. They only acted in what they considered to be their own best interest. And as a result, they couldn't have cared less about others either. It was a time very much like ours in America today. These two things, caring about God and caring about others, are directly related to one another. Where the first is absent, the second will be as well. The time of the judges illustrates this. During the time of the judges, children were neglected, parents weren't honored, brothers hated brothers. In Judges 19, there's an awful story about a Levite, a man from the priestly tribe of Israel, who allowed his wife to be raped for one whole night while he slept, and in the morning when he got up, she was dead. And he couldn't care less. These two things... Caring about God and caring about others are directly related to one another. 
Where the first is absent, the second will be as well. Our times illustrate this. Children are neglected. There are over 5,000 children in Arkansas that are in the custody of the state because their parents have abused or endangered them. And now we know that the state doesn't do all that good a job of taking care of these kids either. Our governor, Asa Hutchinson, has said that the foster care system in Arkansas is in a state of crisis and nobody knows exactly what to do about it. You know from reading the papers and uh, listening to the news that uh, people are shooting and killing each other in record numbers in Little Rock uh, today. Elderly parents are put in nursing homes and they're forgotten by their children and their friends. And high-powered executives get rich uh, off uh, the pensions of their employees. People's inhumanity to other people is a matter of daily record in the media. These are people who couldn't care more or couldn't care less. When people harden their hearts against God, they also harden their hearts against others. And the time of the judges was a time that was as hard as concrete. These people did not care about God and they didn't care about one another. But right there in the middle of all of this hardness during the time of the judges, we find this beautiful little book of Ruth with its story of two people who did care about God and therefore cared about others. You know how Ruth gave up all worldly advantages to come be amongst the people of God and to care for her elderly mother-in-law, Naomi. But today we're going to look at Boaz, another man who cared about God and therefore cared about other people. Namely, he cared about Ruth. Now, ultimately, we know that it was God who cared for Ruth. The sovereign, sovereign covenant-keeping God of Israel was the one that gave her the provision that she needed and the protection. But he did that through Boaz. In chapter 2 of uh, Ruth in in verse 12, Boaz invoked a blessing on Ruth. He said, May the Lord reward your work and your wages be full from the Lord, the God of Israel under whose wings you have come to seek refuge. But Boaz not only invoked this blessing on Ruth, he became God's instrument of blessing in Ruth's life. This is the way that God normally works. He cares for his people through other people. And Boaz was a man who couldn't care more. So what exactly is involved in being a person who couldn't care more? Our text mentions three things. The first thing that is involved in being a person who couldn't care more is perceiving the need. Francis Schaeffer wrote a book called The Church at the End of the 20th Century, 
And in that book, he predicted that a time was coming when people in America would have only two values, personal peace and affluence. By personal peace, he meant that people wouldn't want to be bothered with other people's problems. And that is why we see an increasing tendency in our country for people to turn over the needs of the poor, the hungry, the sick, and the elderly to the state. They don't want to be bothered with other people's problems. And our affluence, at least for the time being, enables us to get away with this. Our affluence also enables us to isolate ourselves from people who may be in need. We live in gated communities. But even in neighborhoods that are open, we still use our affluence to isolate ourselves. I have a friend who... uh, built a house not too long ago in this area. And I asked him after they got into it uh, how he liked it. He said they they liked it fine. There was only one problem. And I said, well, what was that? He said, we didn't build the privacy fence high enough. Well, this is a guy who lives in a neighborhood, but he's not interested in getting involved with his neighbors or his neighbors getting involved with him. And then the devil invented electric garage door openers. You know, it used to be that you'd get home and at least you had to get out of your car and open the garage door. And in those few minutes, it was very possible you could run into the dreaded neighbor. And you would have to have a few words with that person, right? But the electric garage door opener put an end uh, to all that. Now you just press a button, you glide into your house, and you don't have to worry about that pesky neighbor anymore. He doesn't have to be involved in your life, and you don't have to be involved in his life. But if we isolate ourselves from people like this, then how are we going to perceive the needs that they have? And this goes on in the church as well. James Dobson uh, expressed his frustration one time uh, with uh, this situation. He says, I'm convinced Americans are desperate for a sense of community. Eventually, many of these lonely people search for fellowship in a church setting, but what happens when they arrive at the sanctuary? Often they encounter busy, harassed people who are focused only on their own needs. That's why Sunday is an exhausting day for Shirley and me. We work hard to reach those whom we feel need our involvement. Sometimes it's a couple standing alone in a Sunday school class. Perhaps they've attended the church for five years or more, but the social awkwardness is evident on their faces. Even though we attend a friendly church, I occasionally become irritated by the lack of dedicated workers in this critical task of caring for people. It is, in my opinion, the most important family ministry a church can implement. How can we perceive other people's needs if we isolate ourselves from one another? Now, Boaz was an important man in Bethlehem. He was a landowner. He had servants. He was one of the town directors. But he didn't allow all of that to give him an excuse for being aloof from other people who might need his care. 
He noticed Ruth gleaning in his field. Back then, gleaners were people who were on welfare. This was God's way of providing for the poor. And it's very unusual that an important man like Boaz would notice someone on welfare working in his field. But he noticed her, and then he also inquired about her. He wanted to know who she was, where she was from, and what her situation was. And when he perceived what her need was, then he became the instrument of God's blessing in her life by providing her with the grain that she needed to feed herself and Naomi, and also by providing protection for her while she gleaned in the fields. Remember, this was the time of the judges. It was not a safe time for a young single girl to be working in a strange place. So Boaz didn't allow the fact that he was affluent, that he was important, to interfere with him perceiving the needs of people around him who might need his care. And these opportunities abound for all of us. If we will simply allow ourselves to look, there are people all around us, like Ruth, who are in need of our care. People in our churches, people in our neighborhoods, people at work, and people in our families. Listen to what this young lady wrote to her parents. She said, I'm a 15-year-old girl going through a lot of the teenage blues. I had a rotten day at school, and all I want is a little bit of time. Maybe just a simple hug would do, but my parents both work, and by the time they get home, they are usually tired and just want to be left alone. Personal peace. So I went to see my boyfriend, and he comforted me and talked to me about my problems, and I felt 100% better. Wow, I thought. From now on, I'll go to him with my problems and forget about bothering my parents. One thing has led to another, and I've done things I would never have dreamed I'd do. Dad, Mom, I wish you would have been there when I needed you. There are lots of people around us, just like Ruth, who need our care. But we have to, first of all, perceive that need. God wants us to be people like Boaz, a man who couldn't care more. This is the way God, that God normally works. He cares for his people through other people. So the first way or the first thing that is involved in being a, a person who couldn't care more is perceiving the need. And the second thing involved in being a person who couldn't care more is performing our duty. First, we have to perceive the need. But that's just the beginning. One of my favorite uh, peanuts uh, cartoons has to do with uh, Snoopy uh, being outside on a cold winter day. He's just about covered up uh, with snow. And then it shows uh, Charlie Brown and Lucy and Linus inside looking at Snoopy. And then they finally get their coats on and their hats and their boots and they all tromp out to where Snoopy's doghouse is. And they pet Snoopy on the head and they say, be of good cheer, Snoopy, be of good cheer. And then they turn around and go back in the house, and they leave Snoopy out there freezing in the cold. They perceived the need, but they didn't do 
anything about it. First, we have to perceive the need, but then we have to perform our duty. Well, what exactly is our duty? Well, I think you probably already know what your duty is. In both the Old Testament and the New Testament, it says that we're to love our neighbor as ourselves. And then, of course, the question arises, well, who is my neighbor? Well, Jesus answered that, didn't he, in the parable of the Good Samaritan. Our neighbor is anyone that we are in a position to care for. You'll remember that the uh, Levite and the priest who went by the man who had been set upon by bandits, they perceived the need, but they didn't follow through. They didn't perform they, their duty. They didn't love their neighbor as themselves. They were, they were people that couldn't care less. But Boaz was a man who couldn't care more. And God wants us to be people like Boaz, people who couldn't care more, who not only perceive the need, but also perform their duty. Sometimes performing or, or loving our neighbors ourselves will mean standing up for somebody else's rights. And that's what Boaz did with Ruth. Ruth didn't demand her own rights. As Christians, we know that we should not demand our own rights. But the Bible is full of commands for us to stand up for the rights of others, and particularly for those who are poor and who are being mistreated. And this, is, this is what Boaz did, and it, and it shows what a different man he was from the other people from the time of the judges. It shows that he cared about God and he cared about God's law. He understood what God's law said about leveret marriage. He understood that there was another relative closer to Ruth than himself who had the responsibility of redeeming her and redeeming Naomi's land. And so what he did was to confront this man in the presence of other witnesses and try to get him to do what he should do according to God's law. But we know that this closer relative was not a man who cared about God and God's law. He was a typical man from the time of the judges. He did what was right in his own eyes. He only acted in his own best self-interest. Boaz was not only willing to love his neighbor as himself by standing up for Ruth's right, recognizing that she had these rights under the law of leveret marriage that God had instituted, but when the closest relative was not willing to perform his duty, Boaz said that he was, that he would perform that duty, that he would redeem Ruth and Naomi's land. By the way, this, this wasn't really an option for Boaz. Sometimes uh, we think of these things in, in terms of just being good deeds and don't think about it as a duty, but Boaz wasn't performing just a good deed here. Again, he understood God's law. 
And he cared about God, and therefore he cared about Ruth. He cared about loving his neighbor as himself. And so he was more than willing to perform the duty that God had laid out for him to perform. If he had not done it, it would have been a sin. Remember when the Levite and the priest went by the man set upon by thieves? They didn't just fail to do a good deed in coming to this man's rescue. They broke God's law that we are to love our neighbor as ourselves. They weren't willing to perform their duty. They were people who couldn't care less. But again, God calls us to be people like Boaz, a man who couldn't care more. And this is the way that God normally works. He cares for his people through other people. So the second thing that's involved in being a person who couldn't care more is performing our duty. And the third thing that's involved in being a person who couldn't care more is paying the price. Caring for other people does not come cheaply. It takes time, it's inconvenient, and often it costs money. C.S. Lewis, uh, the writer, took in an elderly widow whom he cared for until she died. She lived many, many years with him, and to make things worse, she was a nag and never appreciated all that C.S. Lewis did for her. But Lewis didn't mind. Lewis understood that he had a duty to perform, and he was willing to pay the price. It cost him time, it was inconvenient for him, and it cost him money. Boaz, too, found that it was not cheap to care for other people. It cost him time, it was inconvenient, and it cost him money. Remember, Boaz was an important man in Bethlehem. This was the time of the harvest. And he had fields to oversee and servants to supervise. And yet he took time out of that busy schedule to confront this closer kinsman about his responsibility to perform his duty toward Ruth. And notice he didn't put it off. He got to it that very day, just as Naomi had told Ruth that he'll get it taken care of today. So Boaz took the time to call the other elders of the town together, and together they confronted this man, and he was willing to redeem Naomi's land. That would have been gain for him, but he wasn't willing to redeem Ruth by marrying her because that would mean that the property would remain in the name of Naomi and Elimelech and their children, and that would not be gain to this closer kinsman. And again, because he was a typical man of the time of the judges, he acted in only what he considered to be his own best interest. He wasn't willing to pay the price that Boaz was. Again, caring for other people, does not come cheaply. It takes time, it's inconvenient, and it costs us money. But we have this promise in Scripture that when we are obedient to God, 
in caring for others, in performing our duty of loving our neighbor as ourselves, that we will always have sufficient to do that. In 2 Corinthians 9, 6 through 11, it says, Now this I say, he who sows sparingly shall also reap sparingly, and he who sows bountifully shall also reap bountifully. Let each one do just as he has purposed in his heart, not grudgingly or under compulsion, for God loves a cheerful giver. And God is able to make all grace abound to you, that always having all sufficiency in everything, you may have an abundance for every good deed. As it is written, he scattered abroad, he gave to the poor, his righteousness abides forever. Now he who supplies seed to the sower and bread for food will supply and multiply your seed for sowing and increase the harvest of your righteousness. You will be enriched in everything for all liberality, which through us is producing thanksgiving to God. C.S. Lewis understood this principle, and that's why he was not afraid to pay the price of caring for this elderly widow. He was once asked uh, how much he thought we should give to the poor, and C.S. Lewis answered, In Scripture, sacrificial giving is not the exception, it is the rule. Many of us consider the question of how much in terms of how little. The cross of Christ and the gift of God's Son stand in direct contrast to those who seek to give so little. For God so loved the world that he gave his Son. I do not believe one can settle how much one ought to give. I am afraid the only safe rule is to give more than we can spare. But again, Lewis understood this principle that when it comes to performing our duty of loving our neighbor as ourself, God will provide the resources necessary to do that. God wants us to be people like Boaz, a man who couldn't care more. This is God's normal way of working. He cares for his people through other people. Now, I can't leave this text without mentioning that Boaz, a man who couldn't care more, is a type of Jesus. Jesus, God's son, became a man. He took on our flesh. And by doing that, he became our closest kinsman, our kinsman redeemer. He perceived our need. He saw that we were sinners separated from God. He performed his duty, not in the sense that he was obligated to us, but in the sense that he did his father's will. And then he paid the price. He laid down his life in our stead so that we would have the forgiveness of sins and acceptance with God. Jesus is the ultimate man who couldn't care more. And we, his people, should be too to the glory of God. Let's bow in prayer. Heavenly Father, we thank you. Though you are rich beyond 
our ability to even conceive, though you are high and lifted up above us, that, Father, you cared about us. You perceived our need. You did what was necessary to redeem us in sending your Son, and you paid that price of giving up your only begotten, your most beloved Son, for our sakes. Father, thank you that you are a God who loves and cares so much. And give us grace, as you have promised in Scripture, to be that kind of people as well. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen.